0: You're dropping in on episode 194. Have you tried the keto diet for weight loss? It's been all the rage on social media, podcasts, and YouTube channels for about the last seven-ish years. But are we starting to see the death of the keto hype? On today's episode, we have a keto expert that, believe it or not, is not all about keto. So, if you've ever tried keto and had mixed results, plateaus, or gut and hormone issues, then you're in the right spot because we go through the weight loss journey and how it should be done. Doing keto to support hormones and to avoid weight loss plateaus. We also get into the dopamine fasting and relationship between carbohydrates and the menstrual cycle. We get into divisive and misleading marketing actually in the health space. And we also talk about a vitamin that you've probably never heard of, vitamin G, and why it's so important. There really is so much in this episode, so get your notepad and pen at the ready, and let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Here we go again. We're going to try and fill your head up to the brim of all the good stuff. So much good stuff, you may not even know what to do with it all. But if that's the case, we've got you covered because we've got courses and programs to cover all the bases. Because in 2022, it's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. So, if you're in a space and thinking, yeah. It's about time I commit to me for a change, then scroll down to the show notes to complete a program application form. And if you're accepted into our tight-knit community that we've created, then I'll be in touch to get you started. The link is in the show notes, so scroll down and click the link, complete the application form, and we'll chat really soon. Okay, so we've got a big dog on the show today, a heavy weight in the podcast and online social media health expert world. This particular man went on his own personal health transformation beginning in 2008, shedding 80 pounds, which is about 36 kilograms, of pure body fat. Ever since, he's been on a mission to help 1 billion people live a healthier lifestyle. He's the author of four best-selling books, KetoFlex, The Perfect Health Booklet, The Intermittent Fasting Cheat Sheet, and The Power of Sleep, and in this process has become one of the go-to guys for intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet. He's known as the health detective because he investigates dysfunction and he educates, not medicates, to bring the body back to a healthy baseline, which you know, we love a bit of those uh, natural health shenanigans over here on the show. He's also the founder of the famous Keto Camp, a global brand bringing awareness to ancient healing strategies such as keto diet and fasting, as well He's the host of a top 15 ranking podcast called The Keto Camp Podcast, which I was recently on, episode 412, obviously the best episode. (laughs) Check it out along with the rapidly growing Keto Camp YouTube channel with over 130,000 subscribers and a TikTok channel boasting over 200,000 plus subscribers and over 30 million downloads. And this legend is the epic functional nutrition practitioner, Ben Azadi. Welcome to the
1: show, my friend. How are you? Maddie, I'm doing amazing. That's a great introduction. Uh, you did amazing on my podcast. And yeah, definitely one of the best ones we've ever done so I'm <laughs> to be on your show today too.
0: I, I'm very grateful for you pandering to my ego. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so dude, you lost 80 pounds, which is such an incredible achievement. And you should be so super proud of that. But I'm wondering if you could tell us like... What was that rock bottom moment that led to that like first light bulb moment or decision to be like, I need to change my life?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because when I meet people in the last 5, 10 years or whatever, they see me, they meet me, they see that I'm super lean and fit. They never could imagine that for most of my life, I was pretty unhealthy, obese, physically and mentally obese. So, I mean, I followed a standard American diet and we spoke a lot about that on my show, how toxic that is. It's a stupid diet, <laughs> it's a ranted <laughs> diet. So I followed, uh, ate fast food, played video games, did drugs growing up, and you know, as an adult, played fast food, I mean, <laughs> played fast food, ate fast food, played video games, did drugs as an adult because you become your habits, and my habits were really bad. So I found myself in 2008, obese man, 250 pounds, I don't know what that is in kilograms, you could share what that is. <laughs> And I was lost. I was wanted to give up on life, as a matter of fact. I was going through a really bad breakup with my ex-girlfriend. She dumped me, working a nine-to-five job that was not inspiring. And my only goals in life was to get the highest score in Call of Duty or or Madden football uh, video games. So I wanted to actually end my life, Maddie. I was looking for ways to do that. And every time I explored suicide, I kept thinking about my mom. I kept thinking about what she would have to deal with if I took my life. And it kept stopping me, thank God. And this was a vicious cycle, looking for ways to end the pain, stopping myself because I didn't want to hurt my mom. And this went on for weeks and months and and months. And eventually, I had to do something because I knew I wasn't going to take my life, but I knew I had to make a change. I was rock bottom. I was tired of being rock bottom. So I started to read books for the first time in my life. Besides having to read books to pass classes in high school, I chose to read books. And I picked up a book from Bob Proctor, who's right behind me right here. Uh, the photo I have behind me. Um, Lisa Nichols, Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, Earl Nightingale. I mean, these incredible authors. And I, these books really inspired me and opened up a whole new world to me. The most important thing that I the books did for me, the books helped me take ownership and responsibility for the first time in my life. And as you know, Maddie, that word responsibility is a very important word to understand. Our greatest ability is our responsibility, and that simply means your ability to respond to life. Back then, my ability to respond to life was really poor. I was the victim. It was my slow metabolism, that's that's the reason I'm so overweight, my enabling family members. I was blaming everything and everyone except for the person who was truly responsible, me. So I literally said those words out, out loud, I am responsible. And something that's really cool is when you take responsibility, it's almost impossible to be angry and resentful and the victim. I immediately became the victor of my destiny. No longer was I the victim of my history. So I started to move my body. I started to eat better. I stopped playing video games and I picked up my bicycle and went for a ride, played some basketball. And in nine months, I went from 250 pounds down to 170 pounds, 34% body fat to 6% body fat. Finally achieved a physical six-pack, but the most important thing that I achieved is what I call a mental six-pack. I started to really understand how important those thoughts are towards healing your body. And that was 14 years ago. Ever since then, I've been a student uh, learning and studying and applying, and a lot of things have happened along the way. But yeah, that's where I was at, and uh, it was a great journey, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah, that's incredible,
0: man. Like, yeah, I'm so inspired by that journey and have even having not been on such a huge health transformation myself. It's, it's incredible to see how people like yourself make those changes. I'm curious though, talking about responsibility, like. A lot of people take a long time and sometimes they never come around to the idea that they're responsible for the narrative of their life, the suffering of their life, the health situation that they're in. Why do you think people find it so difficult to yet yeah, go from that place of being the victim to taking responsibility? What do you think is are people afraid of when they take responsibility?
1: Well, it's a great question. First of all, it goes against everything we're being taught from the school system through you know, social media and just TVs and movies. it's it's not your fault. it's somebody else's fault, right? You're the victim. it's it's and people like to be the victim. I mean, there's a there's a high from it. There's a high from being angry. People get high off of being angry. That's why people watch the news all the time. So that's part of the reason why it's so difficult to change. And um, the second part of, of it is the paradigm, right? You know all about that. It's a, it's a multitude of habits that are right into your subconscious mind. If, if you've been trained to believe you're the victim and it's somebody else's problem, that's what your paradigm is, and that's what you automatically think. And there's only two ways to change that paradigm. Number one, an emotional impact, going through the death of a loss of, a, of somebody you love, like what happened to me with my dad. was an emotional impact for a lot of people. When you go through an emotional impact, it'll change the way you start to think and change your habits. So that could be a way to change things and take ownership. Ideally, nine times out of 10, an emotional impact is negative. So we don't want to go that route. Second route, second option to change your paradigm is constant repetitive action. Your whole thing, one tweak a week. I love that. You know, Everybody's sharing feedback when you share that on my show, how they love that. One change a week, one tweak a week, you constantly change that subconscious mind. When I learned that I am responsible for everything in my life, it was a tough pill to swallow. But I got to tell you, it is impossible, like I said earlier, to be angry and responsible. Bob Proctor said a couple of things that changed my life. Well, he said one thing and Wayne Dyer said another thing. I'm going to share both. Bob Proctor said, the great news is, or the bad news is, you are the only problem you will ever have. The good news is you are the only solution as well. And then Wayne Dyer said something that really resonated with me about this whole conversation. Wayne Dyer said, if other people are the cause of your problems, you would have to hire a psychiatrist for the rest of the world in order for you to get better, right? Doesn't make any sense. Sounds pretty stupid. And he's right. All right. So I think that's why two reasons why it's so hard to change because of the paradigm and because it's so socially acceptable to be the victim.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a great answer. And I totally went on my own journey of, you know, swallowing that pill. And it's such a tough pill to swallow to start taking responsibility and being like, oh, you mean I created all this suffering? Which, you know, even if tangibly in physical reality you might not have, like still taking responsibility puts you in the driver's seat of the, the healing, um, you know. And so, you've got to take responsibility for your contribution to the chaos because it's never 100% somebody else, right? Your, your physical presence was there in some form. So, there's something to always take responsibility for. And I don't know if you find this, but I find even some days maybe I'm underslept or I didn't, you know, just whatever's going on in my world and I'm like, I, I feel myself defaulting to that victim. And then I'm like, come on, Maddie, You know all the things. You help people do this. You know, get your shit together. <laughs> um, and then it's like you coach yourself back into that responsibility. But every now and then, it's like, yeah, you can feel the body be like,
1: oh, it's so much easier to be a victim. Can we just go over there? I <laughs> uh, totally can relate to that. And, and you know, you know, kudos to you. It's the awareness. The awareness is key. You were aware that you were going to your old default programming of being the mm-hmm. victim. And you're, it, it is easy and very comforting to be the victim. It's so easy to blame somebody else because that means it wasn't your fault. You don't have to make changes, right? You're not responsible, somebody else's responsibility. And it's very easy to live that way, but I gotta tell you, there is no growth, there is no happiness, there is no health in that world. It is essentially a mental prison, but here's the deal. You cannot escape a prison if you don't know you're in one. So you gotta have the awareness that you're there and then you can break out of that mental prison. So, obviously,
0: for you, a part of this transformation and responsibility, keto came into it and you've become the keto guy, right? So, of all the different diets and different ways of eating that are out there um, on your transformation, why was keto the thing or, or how did you come about finding it and, and why was it the thing?
1: Yeah, and I, I explored different diets. So I did paleo. I was a vegan for a year and a half, like strict plant-based vegan for a year and a half Um and I've tried different things, different gimmicks and fad diets and weight loss programs, et cetera. When I started to research keto, it came at the same time I started to research intermittent fasting. This is back in 2013. Mm-hmm. And I was transitioning from a vegan diet because it clearly didn't work for me. Lab work verified that. It felt awful and <laughs> looked awful. And so I started to read about this process, this metabolic process called ketosis and how intermittent fasting is another process or approach that goes hand in hand with ketosis and how it made a lot of sense to me. Our ancestors, they were forced to fast and by default, they needed to actually burn their body fat, use their body fat and produce ketones for the brain. So I started to kind of put the pieces to the puzzle through through some of the research I was doing and it made a lot of sense. So I said, all right, I'm going to give this keto thing a full shot. And I did. And I felt Great. Uh, it was back then in 2013, 2014, where the finger, the blood finger pricks was like $8 a strip. So if you messed up and didn't get a reading, that's $8 down the toilet. Now it's a lot more <laughs> affordable. So I started to feel a lot better. Uh, and then as the years went by, more research came out. And of course, I was dogmatic about ve- uh, veganism and the keto lifestyle. And I started to learn that it's it's a tool, but it's not the only tool. It's like one tool you apply, but can be so beneficial for the brain, for brain fog, for inflammation. And over the years, I determined that, okay, it's one tool, but let's use it as one tool to flex in and out. And that's where kind of Keto Flex came in, into play.
0: Yeah, that's a good segue into like Keto Flex. So that's one of your books. And can you talk to us about what exactly is Keto Flexing?
1: Yeah. The premise behind keto flexing is metabolic flexibility. It's a, it's very similar to what you teach your students in, in your community. That's the goal. The goal is metabolic flexibility. The goal is metabolic freedom. The goal is not being in ketosis for the rest of your life. The goal is not putting yourself in a dogmatic box. That is not the goal. So when you think about our ancestors, every single one of our ancestors did keto. Keto is not a diet, it's a metabolic process, and it has been around for as long as humans have existed. Our ancestors had to go through periods of time called famines, where they didn't have food. It was a famine, and they had to fast, and they needed the ability to utilize their fat stores as an energy source, which then the liver used those fatty acids to produce ketones. This is called ketogenesis. And that was for the brain, that was for the body to survive. So it's a survival mechanism, but there's a lot of anti-inflammatory properties to it. In that same token that our ancestors did keto, they didn't stay in ketosis long-term. As a matter of fact, there's not one diet that ancient culture ever stuck to long-term. They always change their diet according to their environment, according to season, including keto, including carnivore. And that's the way we're designed to live. Our cells need to adapt and to Try different things and you know introduce different foods. It ha- creates more diversity in the gut. It forces the mitochondria to adapt. So keto flexing is that premise of using ketosis as a tool to get fat adapted, keto adapted, which on average takes you about 8 to 12 weeks. And then we start flexing in and out. And that's what keto flexing means. And if you've done this the right way, you could have your keto flex day where you intentionally get yourself out of ketosis. And then you're right back in when you want to do keto again. That is the goal, I believe, the metabolic freedom. And it makes things much more sustainable and a lot less dogmatic.
0: Yeah, I love it. And and you're right. We totally have a similar approach, approach with that when it comes to, yeah, flexing in and out and metabolic flexibility being the goal. And I really like that. Um, what comes to mind as you're sort of talking there is like being de- devil's advocate um, is like what do you think about the idea that fad diets um, and keto could exist in the same space like because a lot of people hear like oh keto i've tried that i've tried this um like so where does keto sit in that world
1: well it depends on how you approach keto keto can be a fad diet if you're looking to use it as like a quick weight loss tool Mm -hmm. um the way that we teach keto and the way we view it it's not a diet, it's a metabolic process. And if you could go mm-hmm. into it viewing it that way, then it eliminates all the confusion. You're going to use it as a tool to achieve metabolic flexibility. Why is that important? Well, in America, but also in Australia and the rest of the world, most people are metabolically damaged and inflexible. Insulin resistance, di- type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, etc. We have essentially a keto deficiency. That's the real problem. We have a deficiency in using this metabolic process called ketosis. If you really want to talk about... A fad diet, the true fad diet is the standard American diet. That has only been around for 40 to 50 years. Keto has been around for a lot longer. So I think the reason people lump in keto diets with fad diets is because it's so popular. There's a lot of people teaching it. People are teaching it as a weight loss tool and people use it to lose weight, which can help with that. But I don't like that lens on it. I like using it as a tool to achieve metabolic flexibility and freedom. That's I believe, the right way to use it. Totally. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you
0: there. What do you feel about um, ketosis in women? Like, how do women need to do it differently in, in regards to hormones? Because I feel like... Every every diet on the internet has a bit of a life cycle, you know, and like social media means that it progresses for a certain number of years and then all of a sudden, all of the people come out the other side that it didn't work for or that messed up their hormones or that didn't quite do it properly and you could argue that, you know, people you know, getting information from the internet and taking like a bit from my podcast and a bit from your YouTube channel and a bit from over here. They're trying to put a puzzle together using pieces of like 10 different puzzles. So, it's kind of no surprise to us practitioners, I think, that it's like, oh, you tried to do it yourself based on 25 different social media influences. Of course, it didn't work out because you were using bits of 25 different protocols. Do you know what I mean? And so I feel like we're at that point where a lot of people are like, didn't work for me, stopped working for me, um, damaged things, I gained weight. Um, so like, I feel like we're on that other side of the, the, the mountain, the keto mountain where people are starting to experience these outcomes or come forward and be honest about these outcomes. Um, so what, what do you sort of think about that group of people? Like, or what would you say to that group of people and particularly the women that have not had amazing results going through that pathway?
1: It's a very important question. I'll, I'll address the the women doing keto and intermittent fasting in a second, but I'll first address the other problem that you mentioned. Um, too much information is the new problem, right? We used to have the yeah. problem of not enough information, but now it's just too much. And I love the quote. I forgot who said it, but we are, we are um, drowning in information, but starving for truth. It's so true. So I recommend to those searching, and you're right, I see it in my community all the time, those searching for the protocols for health, for reducing inflammation, for reversing insulin resistance, type two diabetes—you see all these amazing practitioners. There's a lot of great people out there, right? Maddie is included into that mix. But Thanks, the man. problem, you you're welcome. <laughs> uh, thank you, brother. The, the problem is this: like you said, you start watching Dr. Berg, you start watching Ken Berry, you start watching Maria Emmerich, you start watching all these other people out there who are all great. Don't get me wrong, but we don't all align on everything, right? So we. Are teaching, what we view as what works for us in our community, we have different approaches. But when you start looking at everybody, 10 different people, it'll leave you confused and you're putting together pieces to the puzzle and it's just not going to make a lot of sense. So I recommend finding one, two, maybe three people max that you really resonate with their personality, their vibe, and go deep with their information, like sign up for their programs, get their coaching or if you can't afford their stuff right now, just go really deep with their podcasts and YouTubes and go really deep on that person. Instead of going wide with a whole bunch of people, go deep with a one to three people max. Second thing with women, definitely women need to do keto and intermittent fasting differently than men. And that should go a step farther. Women who are menstruating should do it differently than women who are perimenopause, postmenopause. So chapter 12 of my book, is designed to teach you exactly how to teach women exactly how to do it the right way. I will give you a perfect example. If a woman has a monthly cycle, the week before her period, that bleed week, that's the week where you do not want to be in ketosis. You do not want to do a lot of intermittent fasting. Why? Because you want to build progesterone and estrogen during that week for a healthy monthly cycle. And guess what? You don't build progesterone and estrogen. With keto and intermittent fasting, that doesn't happen. So that's a flex week. And I talk about down the week, seven days of higher carbs, no fasting. The best week to do keto and aggressive intermittent fasting, longer fast is your bleed week. This is why, by the way, and you've probably seen this. So many women are like, I'm going to do keto for months and months and months. And they're like, the week before my period, I get just, I get all these cravings. I want chocolate. I want carbs. That's the innate intelligence telling your body. You need to bump up glucose and insulin because insulin helps make those hormonal conversions, including progesterone. It's the innate intelligence telling the woman's body, get the carbs. We need a healthy monthly cycle. And when you just fight that, uh, Mother Nature is going to get the last laugh. So there are strategic ways to do this. And now for postmenopausal women as well, like at this point of your life, the ovaries have shut down. They're like, you know, I'm retiring and it's a, it's an organ that has completely retired on you and shut down. So your adrenals pick up the slack. So you want to perform more, you know, uh, oxytocin producing exercises, meditation, laughter, love. So there's so many considerations. Now, for us men, we could be more aggressive. We could do three-day water fast, five-day water fast. We have a 24-hour hormonal recycling pattern. And we could be more aggressive. That's why a lot of men get faster results than women because we could be more aggressive in that, in that aspect. So those are some considerations for men versus women. It should not be applied across the board. We should look at our specific biology, but also your health history. So we could go down a whole rabbit hole, but just to answer your question, it needs to be done differently for men versus the women out there.
0: Yeah, I'm so on, we're so on the same page, man. I love this. This is <laughs> so good. Um, yeah. And I think too, like that week before bleed week where, for women where carb cravings go up and you know the chocolate happens and all of those things happen is, is often historically from a fad diet perspective, that's the most common week that people fall off their diets, not just for the week, but like for years. Um, and equally, that's the week that they beat themselves up. The most because they're not sticking to the diet. And, and so I think, I think this is a really good conversation. I, ironically, we're both men that have never had a period, but <laughs> like just, so but true. just to, but just to just to verbalize that that is totally normal those cravings and i love the way you framed it that it's your innate intelligence saying that we need this like this nutritional information and data in the body to support the construction of these hormones the thickening of the endometrial lining um you know and, and that's what your body is totally meant to do so i think that yeah just giving permission for people to be like oh this is normal and it's okay and you know Next week, we'll
1: be moving in another direction, and that's okay too. That's exactly right. You said it very well. And, you know, it's not a week to have pizza and ice cream and all that, but it is a week to bump up your healthy carbs. The citrus fruits, the squash, the yams, the sweet potatoes, you know, the white rice, those are, you, you wanna bump up your carbs. So if you're doing keto, you're probably less than 50 grams of carbs per day to stay in ketosis. Now, those days, which I call keto flex days, you bump that up from 50 grams of total carbs to 100, 125. Now, If you think about it, it's still low carb. It's just not low carb enough to be in ketosis, but that's what you want. Once Mm -hmm. your period starts, then you go back down below 50 and you can be more aggressive.
0: Yeah, totally. And the other thing that was coming to mind there just as we're talking was um, cortisol is that like restricting those, you know, carbohydrates and different uh, foods in that particular time of the cycle, you're going to increase your cortisol and your stress hormones, which is going to take priority over creating that progesterone and estrogen, which is going to impact the entire next
1: cycle. That's right. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole um, vicious cycle. So, you can <laughs> yeah. now, no pun intended. You can stop that now, and uh, just you know make some of these changes. But a lot of women, they you know, probably a woman listening to this right now is probably hearing this for the first time, and mm-hmm. that's because a lot of um, keto practitioners or just health practitioners don't really share what we're sharing here, especially in the keto space. Like I'm really in that keto space. I go to a lot of these conferences and this message is not being shared by a lot of keto educators. It's like they fail to neglect that. It's like keto and only keto, do it for the rest of your life. Um, I don't think that's the case. It's got to be some special considerations, especially based off of our unique biochemical needs. So kudos to you for understanding that, Matty. Yeah, thanks man. It's like, you know, as a
0: young guy, youngish guy, it's a bit weird that I have so many books on my shelf in my
1: apartment about women's
0: periods. <laughs>
1: <laughs> same my friend, same thing here. I mean, so you're you're right. We're two guys talking about something that we've never been through before, but Yeah. And I should say we work with clients and students that aren't having their monthly cycle and you know, we give them mm. these protocols and I have given them these protocols and it's made a huge difference when it's followed the right way.
0: Yeah, I can totally relate. I'm curious to know, like, why do you think the people at these conferences and, you know, many of our colleagues who are doing amazing work, why do you think they are so attached to like permanent, ongoing, forever ketosis? Why is that an idea that's still flourishing after all that we know?
1: Well, you know, I could only speak from my experience. When I fall in love with the tool, I tend to overdo it, right? And I think I tend to think this is it you know, nothing else. Like when I discovered keto, this is it, nothing else. I'm going to be in ketosis for the rest of my life. I'm going to get all my friends in ketosis. This is the way to live. Same thing with the vegan diet. I felt the same way. Fasting, right? The more I could fast, the more autophagy I could get, the better. But we know too much of a good thing is a bad thing. So I think that's part of it. You fall in love with the tool and all you see is that tool. That's like, I'm going to use that tool for the rest of my life. Second to that is, If you have come up in the health space, you're known as the keto guy, the keto gal, the carnivore guy or gal. It's like that's your identity now, and it's hard to say. Well, maybe not all the time. (laughs) You know, Uh, I'm keto Keto camp, right? That's my company. It's like, but not all the time keto. (laughs) It's like keto is like I love it. It's amazing, but not all the time. So it's hard for people to add that second part. Like it's a tool, but not the only tool. Uh, I think we create this identity, and not just the educators. I mean, you see it with people on social media: carnivore Kathy, keto Kenny. It's like when you start to develop this as your identity, it's like that's you. All your friends know you as that. And if you say, "Well, maybe you're not," I'm going to have a day where I don't do keto. <gasps> it's like, what? You're the keto Kenny guy. You're the carnivore. Ke-. So that, I think uh, that identity part's a big problem too.
0: The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's like the difference between marketing as well and, you know, like a successful marketer is really divisive, right? And so, we, we see as health practitioners, our colleagues who we know behind the marketing are doing really good work, but it's like for me personally i see a lot of this marketing of people that i actually respect and i'm like what are you doing you're contributing to the problem about people being confused and like oh we're, we're making people scared of green vegetables because of lectins or we're like and, and i get really fired up like about the this or you know like the, the kale is bullshit message of the yeah. carnivore community and they're all amazing people i read their books i love them but it's like this divisive marketing and i'm like hang on aren't Aren't you doing the same thing that we're angry at the government systems for doing which is putting out you know misguided misleading information about you know health and nutrition it's like ah oh, this massive you know sort of triggering event for me this world of marketing where we've got to be divisive
1: yeah yeah you're right propaganda you know what? I'm I'm guilty of that myself and here's here's the challenge with my work i don't do it like kale is bs that type of stuff but i am guilty of putting out videos that might cause confusion in regards to um, this conversation. But here's the the challenge, at least for me. Uh, I could take a whole interview, right? Like I'm doing with you and my team will, or I will take like a 30 to 60 second clip. And maybe I'm talking about negative effects of something and it's missing so much context, right? And then they see that and they're like, oh, Ben's against lectins 100%. He says it's like gonna zap your energy, but... It was just a clip from the whole interview and in order to get the whole context. So it's hard as the educator and the marketer. However, you're right. It is our responsibility to make sure the messaging is clear. And we're not doing the same thing that mainstream media and the government's doing, which is propaganda.
0: Yeah, totally. and you know probably i am guilty of it too because we're in this social media world where it's like you know i remember when we first youtube first started and it was like oh long videos like you can go and watch videos amazing and then slowly all these other platforms came out and it was like a 3 minute video is important no 15 seconds no how you know now it's like 2 seconds on tiktok as fast <laughs> as you can go uh, and it's like yeah there's no space for context whatsoever in those time frames like exactly um, Yeah, and and they're designed, you know, the the less context, the more triggering it is by default. I think there's probably a ratio there.
1: Yeah, and it works. You know, that's why TikTok is so successful. It's like barely any context, immediate dopamine hit, or, you know, the opposite of getting angry. People get high off of being angry. So either you're getting angry on TikTok because somebody said something that you don't agree with, or you're getting a dopamine hit because you saw something funny, but it's just like it's marketing genius for sure. That's why TikTok is exploding. And that's why you got to be careful and not let social media use you. You want to use social media. And I, you know, it's a challenge for me. Sometimes I'll go on TikTok because I'm uploading a video on TikTok. And as it uploads, it gives you the percentage. And then it shows you the feed. And I'm like, oh, what's that? And then it's like 30 minutes later, I'm like, what just happened to my life? (laughs) So be careful not to fall into that matrix. Use it. Don't let it use you
0: yeah I love that message. Do you think there's a relationship or any type of connection between behaviors like social media consumption, which you know inherently on a hormonal level becomes dopamine addiction at some point, and the inability or challenge with changing one's diet or lifestyle?
1: Mm, that's a good question. You know, I don't know of any research, but if I had to guess, I would say, yeah, I mean, if you think about dopamine, it's that feel good hormone, chemical. And people who are on social media all the time need more dopamine to get the same effect, the this, this same hit. Uh, I read an article that said the average person is scrolling on their phone enough times per day to climb the Empire State Building.
0: Right? Whoa.
1: Isn't that crazy, dude? Like just imagine <laughs> that. Enough times in a day to be at the top of the Empire State Building with their finger. Wow. So you think about all the dopamine hits and then you need more to get the same effect. Now let's relate that to nutrition, Right. You get dopamine from eating food and bad food. Also, it's more dopamine and more hits. So you need more bad food and more sugar. So when you try to transition to clean foods, you don't get that dopamine hit and you're so dopamine resistant. This is just me guessing what's going on. You're so, and you could let me know what you think. You're so dopamine resistant that it's not sustainable. It's like, I don't feel any, I don't feel good eating the salmon with the broccoli. I need that sugar. I need that dopamine here because I'm so dopamine resistant that it's so hard to make those changes, especially if you go cold turkey. So it needs to be that one tweak a week approach. So that's what I think is going on. But what do you think, Matt? Maddie. Yeah, I'm on board. There's a book. Um, I think it's, um, I'm, I hope I get this right.
0: Anna Lembeck. It's called Dopamine. Um, mm. it's a really, really good book. Lots and lots of good research. And it's, it's basically just as you presumed. So, um, yeah, the more dopamine, re- dopamine resistant you become, the less exciting anything is. And often, you know, people go towards food because of oh, they want to either nurture an emotion or have an emotional experience, which in some way is usually connected to pleasure. Dopamine, yeah. right? Um, and so, yeah, I think without... Without regulating your dopamine um, in in the in the process of having a lifestyle or diet change, then you're going to just go from one addiction to the other because you haven't nurtured that transition in your you know uh, reclaiming your dopamine receptors, so to speak.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. That's an interesting book. I'm going to look it up. And something I do is I, I take dopamine breaks. Right? There's a, there's a process, mm-hmm. a philosophy. It's exploding here in the U.S. You might have it in Australia. Dopamine fasting. Have you yeah heard that? yeah. Yeah, I talk about it a lot on the podcast. Oh, you do. Yeah, so you you know, you already I don't have to explain it, but there's a day you could dedicate to a dopamine fast where you're no stimulation, just resetting it. I don't do that, but what I do do is I'll have dopamine breaks in between my days. So mm-hmm. when I walk my dog in the morning for 20 to 30 minutes with the sunrise, no stimulation, I'm just walking walking meditation, doing affirmations. So I'm kind of resetting my dopamine receptor sites. Throughout the day, I'll take a break, go to my rooftop, do some visualization, grounding, etc. No phone, no nothing. So I'll I'll sprinkle it in throughout the day to kind of make sure I'm getting a good balance of resetting. Also, I'm not on social media scrolling all the time. So those are a few things that I'm sure you've spoken about, these dopamine breaks you could take throughout the day.
0: Yeah, I try not to turn my phone on um, until about 11 or 12 when I go to the gym to like so i can access spotify so like my phone's not on it doesn't live in my bedroom it lives in a cupboard that i never go into in the kitchen um so and it's great because someday like i've been doing it so long some days i forget that i like even have a phone um and i'm like oh yeah i haven't plugged into the matrix today i probably should do that
1: (laughs) i love that that's such a great tip and you don't have to do it for that long like maddie's doing but i i wait an hour and a half before i turn on my phone as well like you're right it's Mm. the matrix and Uh, that's very important, especially the first, let's say 60 minutes. If you could really develop that habit, maybe you do the one tweak a week and you, and right now you're opening the, you're waking up and checking your phone right away. Okay. One tweak a week. Maybe you do it. You wait 15 minutes this week and you Mm -hmm. get that win. And then next week you wait 30 minutes and eventually going to at least 60 minutes because that subconscious mind is most impressionable first thing in the morning. And if you open up your phone, it's Russian roulette. You can have amazing, beautiful messages and text messages of love and social media posts of people liking and supporting you, or open that thing up. You got hate, you got nasty comments, you got a problem you have to solve, and boom, now your day, you're just on autopilot. So one tweak a week, that's a good one to incorporate. And uh, you could get on Maddie's level and wait until 11 a.m. I like that even better. (laughs) <laughs> well and I think too like e- either one of those scenarios whether it's
0: hate and negativity or whether it's love and kindness all produce the same uh sort of situation which is if it's hate you're going to desperately seek dopamine at your most vulnerable time of the day because you're the most dopamine deficient after 8 or 9 hours of sleep right because you haven't been getting all of these delicious foods and you know hugs and experiences in the world and likes on social media and so you're going know, to go towards dopamine anyway and if you get a dopamine hit in the morning well it's just like starting your day with you know a heroin shot you're just going to chase
1: the heroin all day right <laughs> that's a good comparison and it's not an extreme comparison it's it's really addictive and people don't realize it until they realize it and that's the you know hopefully conversations like this is helping you become aware um, So, I've got a question back
0: to the kind of keto flex thing. What's your um, theory or experience with um, people on long-term weight loss? Um, so, we're talking people that need to lose like, you know, 50 to 100 pounds, maybe more because a lot of people think of a diet as a thing you begin and never end. Like it's like a thing I've got to do, but this idea of keto flexing is is really good because it's like in and out of these different types of you know metabolic situations. So for somebody that's got to look, you know, multiple like this is a multiple year journey that I'm going to go on. Um, and thinking of people like most people have experienced plateaus, they're like you know the the inevitable plateau will uh, will arrive, and then I'll be like oh, onto the next diet to figure that out. What's your theory on long term weight loss and how it should be done? My
1: theory on that is. You don't have a weight problem. If you have extra weight right now, when I was obese, I never had a weight problem. As a matter of fact, nobody in history of this world has ever had a weight problem. It's a weight symptom. So we don't chase symptoms. We look at cause. What's the cause? Well, it's usually causes and it all boils down to cellular membrane inflammation. Okay, what's causing cellular membrane inflammation? That's where we start to dig a little bit deeper. So it could be your nutrition. That's where eating clean, healthy fats and protein, lowering your carbs come into play. It could be toxicity. Uh, environmental toxicity or mental toxicity with your thoughts. So my, my view on long term weight loss is yeah, you could definitely hit that goal, but you don't focus on losing weight to get healthy. You focus on getting healthy and then voila, as a side effect, you lose the weight. Now with strict ketosis long term, you will actually almost guarantee that you hit a weight loss stall. Okay. One of the most common reasons I see people hit a plateau on keto is surprising. They, Do keto for too long and think they need to drop their carbs more and be more aggressive, which makes it actually worse. And here's why the number one priority for the human body, the number one priority for the innate intelligence that sits within all 70 trillion cells in your body is survival. That's the number one priority. So let's relate this to what we're talking about here with keto. If you transition to keto, which is great, and you're burning fat, using ketones, that's one fuel source, right? We have another one, which is glucose. Let's say you're just doing keto and burning fat. Now, if that's your only fuel source and your number one priority is survival, wouldn't your innate intelligence say, let's slow down the burning of this fuel source so we could preserve life? Here's the analogy to make it make sense. Let's say you live in Alaska. And it's the summer. It's July. So the weather is nice and warm. But you know, in a few months, it'll be fall and winter, and it's going to be brutally cold. So to prepare for that, you start storing firewood in your cabin in Alaska. Fall rolls around, it's getting really cold, and you've stored about 20 logs of firewood. You have five months of cold weather, but only twenty logs of firewood. What are you going to do in order to survive? You're going to burn that firewood as slowly as possible. You're going to preserve that precious fuel source in order to sustain life. That's exactly what's happening when you are only burning fat and in ketosis for too long. So here's where KetoFlex comes into play: higher carbs. Now it's like your friend coming over to your cabin and saying, "Oh, you only have twenty logs of firewood." No worries. I have a ton. I'm going to give you 200 logs. Go ahead and start burning. You're going to be more inspired to ramp up the burning. You have an additional set of uh, a source of supply. You're going to burn it up. So having a day where you remind the body it's not starving, you bump up carbs, you change the fuel source, it's going to ramp up that fat burning capabilities and have the body adapt to that. So that's when it comes to weight loss, very important to use both pathways and not ever plateau. You always want to mix things up, and a keto flex day is a great way to mix things up.
0: I think that's a really great way to illustrate it with the burning in Alaska. I would love to go to Alaska. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, do you think like should you try? Should you wait for the plateau, or should you catch it before the plateau happens?
1: Well, here's here's the tricky part. Um, I would say do it before the plateau. But mm-hmm. but here's the caveat. If you've done... Because at the point where I recommend keto flexing is about 8 to 12 weeks in when you're now keto adapted. But the caveat is this. If you still have insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes at that point, well, maybe it's not a good idea to have a high carb day, right? Maybe you stick with it for a little bit longer mm-hmm. and you work on that metabolism. And then you could experiment and work with a practitioner on this. And I kind of teach this. I Not kind of. I teach this to my students in my academy. Your flex days don't have to be a higher carb day. It could be just an mTOR day where you have a lot of protein, a caloric surplus. So there's different ways to kind of mix it up. But to answer your question, I would be ahead of the game and, and make sure you're always mixing things up before you hit a plateau. But if you hit a plateau, no worries. I always say there's only three things uh, guaranteed in life death, taxes, and a weight loss plateau, right? So I'm not going <laughs> to teach you about the meaning of life or how to do your taxes but i'm going to teach you how to <laughs> break a weight loss plateau and how you break it is mix things up yeah cool you mentioned in there protein i'm
0: curious what do you what do you think or have you looked into the protein leverage hypothesis
1: no what is that
0: oh it's basically like it's so a, a bunch of like evolutionary biologists did a bunch of research and um, they found that most animals will overeat until they get their amount of protein. Um, so, it's like if say, you know, for instance, we use a vegan diet which has obviously got a, a very high carb but lower protein that you will overeat as many carbs as you need to in order to hit your your um, protein intake. Whereas like, you know, obviously carnivore animals and humans hit that um, much sooner. And it's just, yeah, it's just the idea that... Um, yeah, you, you choose your foods in order for protein priority, essentially.
1: Hmm. You know, I've never heard of that, um, but that makes a lot of sense to me. And we, the way I teach keto is a high priority on protein to make mm-hmm. sure you're hitting that. As you know, I mean, it makes sense because protein activates cholecystokinine, leptin, peptide, YY. It's all these satiety hormones and chemicals. And yeah. I once heard Dr. Uh, Jason Fung share about like a perfect real world world example when you go to a restaurant and you order let's say an 18 ounce uh new york strip you know it's a big piece of steak and you eat it and you're like so stuffed and they're like oh we have another new york strip on the house for you to eat you're like there's no way i could eat that no but they come and they bring a dessert cart or they give you some soda oh yeah sure let me get some of that because it doesn't activate the same hormones and chemicals so yeah that that protein leverage hypothesis, I think you called it, makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, the way that I recommend protein is to get on most days, not every day, because I do like days to have a protein deficiency to get more autophagy. But you know, three to four days out of the week, find out what your goal body weight is. This is the way I teach it. Find out what your goal ideal body weight is. Let's say your ideal body weight is 120 pounds. Then you want to get one pound of protein per gram of that. So in this scenario, it would be 120 grams of Animal-based protein on three to four days out, most days out of the week.
0: Yeah, amazing. Well, dude, the more that I talk to you, the more that I'm like, are we the same person? <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. But for everybody who's meeting you for the first time, uh, we've got you know about half the audience, fifty percent of the audience here in Australia, fifty percent the rest of the world. Um, where can everybody find you and your stuff?
1: Keto Camp Podcast, uh, you mentioned that you, Maddie was just on there. We had an amazing conversation and got some great feedback. I also posted it on our YouTube channel. So either Keto Camp Podcast, easy transition because you're listening to the podcast here and Campus is with with a K, Keto Camp on YouTube. Uh, if you want to get my book, it's available on paperback, Kindle, and Audible. I narrated the entire Audible myself. You could find the book over at ketoflexbook.com. And just for all the links and resources in one place, my website is benazadi.com. Amazing, Ben. Thank you so much.
0: And for everybody listening, all the relevant links will be down in the show notes below. So scroll down there and go and get a piece of Ben because he's clearly a legend um, and we love him a lot. So head down there. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, take a screenshot, chuck it up on social media. Um, Unlike me, Ben is actually on Instagram. So give him a tag. Um, And before we wrap up, dude, in the journey that you've been on, I'd love to know what you want to leave people with when we talk about just one piece of health information. If you were just to give one, what would it be?
1: Mm. Yeah, great. I love that we're going to finish on this note. All right. This is the most important part of the conversation, because if you don't have this going on, anything that I just shared will not work to the extent that you want it to work. So hopefully you listened and you didn't sign off and kudos to you for sticking with this. There's a vitamin that is the most powerful vitamin in the entire world. That It's called vitamin G, right? And Dr. Joe Dispenza he's done some really interesting studies where he's given vitamin G to some of these people who have gone through his courses and he looked at their brain, he looked at their body, he looked at all these different processes that happened once they took vitamin G. And he saw 1,200 chemical reactions take place instantaneously when they took vitamin G. But these processes were putting the body in an anti-inflammatory healing state Instantaneously. So, this vitamin is not at Vitamin Shop or Amazon. It's it's vitamin gratitude. It's actually the practice of gratitude, being grateful, expressing gratitude. And it sounds so silly and so easy, but I got to tell you, it will change your life because it's a universal law. What you feed energy to expands. In other words, what you appreciate. Appreciates. This goes both ways. If you're focusing on what's not working for you, all the things you hate about yourself, all the things you hate about the world, all the things you hate about your sister, your brother, your friends, your partner, guess what? You get what you feed energy to. You're going to get more of that. But when you start switching it to gratitude and writing down 10 things you're grateful for before bed, in the morning when you wake up, guess what? You start to see more things that you're grateful for. That's the reticular activation system part of your brain. So the final tip I would share here is if you're not doing gratitude, and when I say doing gratitude, it's not a checklist of I'm grateful for this. It's feeling it, being intentional, and being consistent. If you're not doing that, adopt it. in keto, carnivore, fasting, everything that you're learning, will upgrade by default. And if you don't do it, it'll be very hard to heal the body and get the results that you want to do. So my final tip is get your daily dose of vitamin G throughout every single day for the rest of your life.
0: Dude, I love that. That's a beautiful sentiment to finish on. Thanks so much for being here on the show, man.
1: Thank you, Maddie. I appreciate you. You're doing amazing work. Uh, Go leave Maddie's podcast a rating and review. It helps all the podcasters out. (laughs) So thank you, brother, for having me on your show.